Welcome to Let's Talk Sales, the podcast that's all things sales and business development. This podcast series is for CEOs that are looking to build strong companies, sales VPs and sales managers that want to take things to the next level, and salespeople that are looking to improve. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program, a year-long engagement where we become embedded in your sales organization to accelerate growth. We work with everyone from leadership to the most junior sales reps to create methods and processes that work best for selling your unique product or service. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. Today's podcast is part of our CFS Talk Sales series, where our very own team here at Criteria for Success share sales ideas, techniques, tips, and insights for CEOs, sales managers, and salespeople. This series is all about growth, improvement, and producing breakthrough results. This is Laura Marchoff, and today I'm talking to our operations officer and senior advisor, Elizabeth Frederick. Hey, Laura. And marketing and innovation manager, Ariana Misko. Hello, Laura. Thank you both for being here today. Our theme for this month is adapting to shifting markets, and our discussion today will address what it means in the world of business and sales and what strategies our listeners can implement to stay on target each quarter. Now, let's start with the first question. Why is it important to monitor trends and encourage innovative thinking in business and sales? Well, I'll jump in and then I'll turn things over to Ariana. She is, after all, our marketing and innovation manager, so she's pretty close to this topic. But I have to say, as somebody who works very closely with our clients and also as an officer in our business, um, takes a big strategic role in our business decisions, the world is moving faster than ever before. Um, It's so incredibly important that we stay ahead of trends and don't get left behind. We can all think of companies over the last few years who have missed that, (laughs) and they've not necessarily caught up with the trends in buyer behavior. They've not really thought about how people are thinking differently and acting differently, and um, it's very easy to go out of business if you don't stay on top of of what's happening. And when it comes to just innovative thinking in general, you want your team to be coming up with new ideas and you want to foster that culture of um, openness and um, and where anybody can come up with a good idea and even some bad ideas and and everybody being willing to share. That's going to give you the the ideas that you're going to take and build on and that will turn into your next stage of growth as a company. And if you've got a culture that isn't thinking that way, that isn't working that way, there's tons of pressure on one or two people to come up with the big idea that's going to save the company as opposed to that culture of innovation that's just widespread. And it's funny you say that. So um, I worked for a large media company in the past and we had a meeting with like, the head of global whatever. And they were talking about how they're not worried about a competitor coming out with something that's going to just totally knock them off their feet. Mm-hmm. They're worried about like the 12-year-old kid in their <laughs> bedroom that's going to come up with this random string of code that just makes their entire industry completely um, irrelevant. I literally saw on Twitter this morning as I was, you know, very healthily lying in bed trying to avoid waking up um, <laughs> on my phone and Twitter, which is like the worst behavior ever. But somebody posted a screenshot of YouTube from 11 years ago. Wow. 
and just seeing the way it was laid out. And it, we don't realize how fast things are changing. Mm-hmm. And um, stuff changes around your business that you can't even control, whether it's government regulations or um, you know a competitor comes out with something. And so if you don't have a constant... Um, ability to innovate and adapt and and you know adjust to what's around you, you're going to be really caught flat-footed when something changes right in front of you. Um, and that's really incredibly damaging to you potentially as a company and could result in going out of business or significant challenges. Yeah, so I mean, especially in terms of sales, we have to think consumer behavior mm-hmm. um, and consumers are demanding a lot these days and it's no longer a seller's world. We are at the whim of what and how people want to buy. And that's why our mission statement is enabling buying and mode of selling because we don't decide when people want to buy, they do, and we have to sell in relation to that, if you want to be successful, that is. You know, people don't want to be pitched on cold calls. We've hopefully, and everyone listening here, have adapted to that. We've moved to email nurturing, um, social selling, maybe you started going to more conferences to meet people. But regardless, we're not selling how we used to five even or ten years ago. Um, and if you look at your records, you'll probably be able to see the data that proves this is true. Mm-hmm. You know, where your leads probably maybe came from magazine advertisements twenty years ago, and now they're coming from social media, and that didn't even exist. So something to think about. Absolutely. Um, when it comes to customers, they want to make a lot of the decision making processes happen before they have any interaction with you. Mm -hmm. And it used to be that you could engage with somebody and they would want to spend a lot of time kind of brainstorming with you Mm -hmm. and building something together. And really let's take a lot of time in discovery. And while that's a lot of fun for a lot of salespeople Mm -hmm. and it can sometimes end up in a better solution, unfortunately what's happening now and what we have to adapt to and figure out is customers want to do the work themselves. They want to do the research. They want to be able to find the information. Yeah. We all do this ourselves. We know this. Yeah. Our you don't want to talk to your sales reps. That's no, <laughs> absolutely really not. And and so what's happened is, you know, you think about this. I had an experience. This was a few years ago. But um, I went to go get an iPhone, and I needed to go to a Verizon store to get it. And I did all the research, and I knew exactly which one I wanted. And I went to the store, and the guy started asking me questions about, what, how was I going to use it? And what do I need? And I'm like, I know what I want. No, I know what I want. I want this one. That's what I'm getting. And it drove me absolutely nuts. And this was five years ago, maybe. I mean, this was not even all that recent. And I think people have gotten even more um, demanding and more expecting that you meet them where they are in their buying journey. And so if you don't teach your sales team to be able to kind of detect, is this the rare buyer who really doesn't know anything and wants me to take the time? Or is this the more typical buyer who's, who's halfway down their decision-making process and really just wants to see a demo and make a decision, you need to address them kind of where they are in the journey. And you need to have a process for each. It's Definitely. I was looking, we moved offices and I found out there was a dentist office next door to us. And then I was thinking, well, I probably should make a dentist appointment actually, that reminds me. And I'm a true millennial, so I don't go, I don't call people, I go on ZocDoc and I read <laughs> reviews like I'm ordering a sandwich. <laughs> Um, and there was this one dentist who, you know, I remember saying he's a great dentist, but he, when you lay down at the table, he just tries to upsell you. And he's like, oh, you should do this to prevent this from happening. Or maybe you should get your teeth whitened. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm here for a teeth cleaning. Like, just do it, you know? And it goes to show people really, we don't want to be told what to buy. 
Mm -hmm. um, we want to buy what we think we want to buy. That's discovery-based selling, which we also talk about. And we probably have a podcast on that, or at least 20 blog posts. Yeah, or at least 50 probably podcasts we'll or blog posts. <laughs> discovery-based selling is key. It's where it's at. Absolutely. All of that is super insightful. I know our listeners are already enjoying this conversation. Um, now, how can business leaders encourage their team to keep a pulse on changing markets and implement new strategies? What are some of the challenges that they might face while doing this, and how do they move past them? So this kind of goes back to what I was saying before, but I think it's really important for managers to make sure their sales reps are keeping note of where leads are even coming from. Um, also, it would be a great idea to schedule regular meetings with the marketing team and the sales team mm -hmm. to meet together because marketing and sales are more aligned than they've ever been. Um, and both of the department's data and functionalities will help the other one benefit, especially in today's world, you know, there's a handoff from marketing to sales depending on how you're marketing your business. But for the most part, there's a distinct handoff. And if your teams aren't on the same page, there's going to be some lack of success. Definitely. Um, a lot of what I'm about to talk about is in an ebook I wrote a few months ago about innovation. And so we're going to share a link to that in the show notes because I have an entire chapter on um, setting a context for innovation and then another chapter on developing an innovative team. Um, and I think both of those are incredibly important. So I'm going to start with um, the context for innovation. As a leader, what's really important is for you to tell your team how much space they have to innovate where you're looking for innovation, we all kind of have this idea to just promote innovation. But somebody might be like, I have an innovative way to reorganize our garbage cans. And while that's helpful, <laughs> that's maybe not what you're looking for. Or even somebody's going to say, I have an innovative idea. We should start you know, running restaurants. And you're like, we're, we're a consulting company. What? <laughs> um, so it's incredibly important that people know kind of what are the bounds within which innovation is kind of best. The context. Yes, best desired. Because certainly people will come up with ideas outside that. And I'm not going to say, you know, draw firm lines around everything, but you do want some boundaries. And so to tell people, you know, we can't change this. You know, maybe there's there's legal requirements or there's some other reason. Hey, here's a system we can't change. But here's another system that we're aware doesn't work as well as it could. Please come up with ideas there. Mm -hmm. Giving people that guidance. You also, when it comes to context, want to figure out what is your context for risk? How open are you to potential failure? Because when you tell people to come up with ideas, some of the ideas won't work out. And that's okay. But if it's the idea that you like sunk the whole company into, then you're in a little bit of trouble. And so thinking about your boundary for risk and communicating that to people to say, you know, it's okay. We can sign off on things up, you know, up to a certain investment or up to a certain um percentage of our overall business might be a new idea, but you know we can't put 50% of our business into this new idea that's not tested. So there's a lot um, that's important around context. The other thing I wanted to talk about is your team structure. And it's so incredibly important kind of into your second question, Laura, about challenges they face. A lot of times you see that people are organized um, in a distinct hierarchy mm -hmm. and people are afraid to come up with ideas or they would be shut down and the manager's idea always wins. No opportunity at all. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. You're just kind of a widget head down, do your job. 
don't open your mouth. <laughs> That's really not, not a, a great thing. And so um, we also often see in a similar way that people have very, um, very uh, standard cultures. There's not a lot of diversity. Everybody's the same. And they're all kind of coming up, you know, the same racially, the same gender a lot of times, um, even the same economic background and regional background. Regional's pretty huge, I think. Yes. You know, we <laughs> hire... Yeah. Or, you know, there are whole companies, like, we all, we hire everybody who was a college athlete from, like, the That's Northeast. <laughs> yes. And guess what? They all have similar ideas and similar backgrounds and certainly right. different personalities. But, hey, if you were to get some people in with diverse perspectives, just imagine the ideas that could be generated. And there's science that shows this. It's not just like some idea. It's it's legit. And so I'm um, really thinking about diversity because groupthink is a really big problem that comes up when you've got teams trying to foster a sense of innovation. They're like, I have no new ideas. We're all thinking the same things. <laughs> and going off of that um, is being flexible as a company or as an employee at a certain company a necessary trait to possess as a um, leader today? I think 100%. Um, and I think Elizabeth will probably agree the answer is no. yes. <laughs> but it's more of the reasons why that might be a little bit different. But this, for me, kind of goes back to our mission statement. You need to be flexible because your job as a sales professional is to enable buying, and it's not to force a sale. Um, and as a leader, it can be really hard to kind of train your team to think in this context, especially when if they're kind of they they're a more tenured salesperson and they've been in the business a while, it's definitely a step back from oh, just worry about your numbers and hit your targets and sell. Who cares about anything else? Just sell. Um, but that's not really what leads to success these days. And also, what Elizabeth was saying, if if you're an inflexible manager, people won't take risks. Mm -hmm. And if there's no risks, there's no reward. Absolutely. As cliche as it is, it's true. Yeah, I was very tempted to say no to your question, just to be a little, you know, counterintuitive. But um, it's so incredibly important. I want to really speak um, to sales leaders for a second, because sales leaders are in an incredibly difficult position. Um, when you look at job titles and the ones where you see some of the most turnover, it's sales manager or VP of sales. You're getting a lot of pressure from above. You know, why aren't you hitting your numbers? Why is this territory underperforming? Um, you know, what's going on in this in this area of the business? And then you're getting all kinds of pressure from below. You know, um, my my goals are too high. I don't have the right deck. I'm not getting leads from marketing, and lots of pressure coming from all sides. And so you need to be able to adapt and change when the world changes around you really quickly. You know, um, we launched a product and it didn't work out as well as we thought it would. Okay, how am I going to pivot? How am I going to address the fact that um, you know, oh, there was a some sort of a problem with the way that it charges? We had a we had somebody that we heard about this was a little while ago. Um, there was a lot of feedback coming in that people were concerned about the packaging of their materials, that it wasn't very green, right? And um, we had a situation that that came up, and then I actually heard about a client that had a similar thing. And if, if stuff is coming up, it's bubbling up from your sales team, you're hearing about it, and you're not flexible, you're not open to let's make some changes, suddenly that can become an even bigger issue that you're not aware of. Uh, and so it's incredibly important to know what's happening, know what people are saying, know um, that combination of kind of the anecdotes as well as the facts, what's happening on the ground, and adapt. That's all within the context of sales. 
Then you want to think just in the context of a business in general, not just a sales leader. Um, markets are changing around you. Oops, there was a tweet. There's going to be a tariff. What do you do? <laughs> right? Uh -huh. But it, it comes up. Um, if that impacts your business, that's really risky. Um, weather, you know, a weather event happens and um, something happened to one of your facilities. Um, things just change around you really quickly. And you always need to be able to figure out how do we adapt and survive through this. The most, um, the most risky thing you can do as a leader is to look like you don't know what's happening next. Mm -hmm. And to, you know, you want to be open with your team to say, hey, you know, we're not 100% sure, but here's our, here's our next few steps. If you're not flexible, if you're, if you just kind of turn into, you know, a, a deer with your <laughs> a deer in the headlights, when a change happens, just think of the tone that's setting for your whole team of, oh boy, should I be looking for a new job? Right. Um, Where do I stand? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So it's so incredibly important to be flexible and to show that to your team, because that's an incredibly important aspect of leadership. Yeah, and everything trickles down to the customer. So if the customer starts to kind of see your company as not adapting, mm -hmm. not shifting to new trends, that kind of affects your business down the road as well. Uh, last month, we talked and wrote about the importance of problem solving in business and sales. And problem solving is all about with coming um, up with creative solutions does being an effective problem solver play into the ability to adapt easily? Good problem solvers are typically flexible thinkers. The skill set that it takes to solve a problem is usually to be able to take information that you have from different areas and put it together in a unique way to resolve that specific problem. So when something comes up, I can think, oh, I know this thing from one space, I know this thing from something else, and I can kind of bolt all that together into a solution. That's flexible thinking. And so rigid people are not generally very good problem solvers. So it's, it's a very similar approach. But what's important to think about is what are the strategies that you have to promote problem solving? Because it's not just a problem solving skill, but there are problem solving processes, right? So one great problem-solving process is to put together a cross-functional team. Um, again, the, this speaks to the diversity that I was talking about earlier, but whereas there, there's diversity at an individual level, you want diversity from a department level. So you've got somebody from marketing and somebody from sales, like Ariana was talking about earlier. Um, but then you could also get delivery and IT and all these different teams that are involved to say, okay, here's the problem that we're solving for. Let's get together and brainstorm solutions. You could say, you know, we're seeing some, some weakness in the way that our buyers are connecting to this new product that we thought would hit. Let's get this cross-functional group together and everybody share your ideas and, and have a, a really productive brainstorming session. And so you can think about, um, again, the, the systems and processes that you build around problem solving, which usually involve getting a group together and being open to ideas and nailing down facts and um, making decisions. And that's the same kind of process that you can apply to the problem of needing to adapt, if that makes sense. And I think also as a sales leader, you have to kind of look at yourself in the mirror and think, you know, I might think that I'm a great leader and I'm a great problem solver, but in the past year, has someone come up to you to change something? And I was like, oh, but that's not how we do it. That's like the death knell word. And you might not realize that you've done it, but um, I... I think a lot of times it's hard for people, especially if they've worked at the same company for many, many years or many decades, to 
kind of take a step back and think, okay, maybe we really need to take a huge pivot or a huge leap and move in another direction. And I need to listen to some of my newer employees on how to do this. Or maybe I got some feedback about my own leading capabilities mm-hmm. that I did not like that much, but, and it's hard to see the truth in it, but I think that being a problem solver and being flexible go hand in hand and it really shows um, in terms of your team's success if you are able to do so. Because it's not supposed to be personal if you pivot or maybe you know, you've worked so hard to establish a current sales process or a sales team and it's just not working anymore. Mm-hmm. It's nothing personal and it doesn't mean anything against you, but it's important to take the company and put it above yourself and make a decision based on that. Yeah, and this is another way that problem solving is is pretty closely related to um, adapting. Because if you have a problem that's a that's a distinct problem, a big problem that you recognize, you're usually willing to do just about whatever it takes to solve that problem. And if you see something as a big problem and you think I would need to blow something up to solve that problem, you're going to blow something up to solve the problem, <laughs> right? Um, and sometimes we think that adapting to changes in the market and in, in situations around us. If we don't perceive it as a problem, then we think we just need to make a little tweaks around the edges and we're not necessarily ready to go to the blow it up stage. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always require, you know, start from scratch, but sometimes it does. And so if you really think, okay, the, the changing market around me, how big of a problem could that be? You know, how close are we to being a company um, like a blockbuster, right? That, that <laughs> fell really far behind versus are we just somebody who, you know, we're, we're not necessarily where we want to be, but we're, we're pretty close. You really need to evaluate the scope of the problem. And you're not always sure, right? There's a lot of companies who think they're doing well, think they're doing well, think they're doing well. Oops, bankrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times, if you, if you have a decent sense of the pulse of your company, where you are, you can think about, um, it, it's kind of back to the evaluating your context for risk. How much of a problem would occur if we weren't able to solve this, if we weren't able to figure out what to do next. Um, and then, you know, come in with the appropriate level of gravitas <laughs> to that situation. This is why a lot of times, and I was actually talking to someone about this not too long ago, um, why companies hire consultants, like mm-hmm. that criteria for success, because when you're, let's say you're a VP of sales or your chief revenue officer, you're just high up in sales, whatever your title is, there's no one to really turn to if you feel like there's you're stuck and you're not making as much as you could, but you're also not losing sales. Sometimes you also don't see the problem. Right, and, mm-hmm. and there's no one to talk to about it because then you don't look like you're, you know how to do your job. Mm-hmm. And that's why people come to outside consultants. Or even everybody at your company is going to have the same ideas because they're looking through the same lens that you are. It's really easy to get stuck in your own world. And then you realize one day, wow, no one knows what we're talking about. (laughs) Definitely. Um, That's that group think that's so easy to fall into. So yeah, thinking about, um, can I find an external coach or consultant or even join a a peer networking group like um, a Vistage or WPO or or one of the other ones um, as a leader that you can join to really get different people's perceptions. You know, we've had situations where we developed um, an idea for an offering and then we went out, Charles, our CEO is in Vistage and he presented our idea to his Vistage group. And they were like, I noticed this thing that's wrong. I noticed this thing that's wrong. I would never buy this because of this. And you get so caught up in just your own perspective 
that you you develop something that you're super proud of and protective of. And so sometimes you've got to let those people kind of poke holes in it <laughs> so that you, you don't go to market with something that nobody's going to want to buy. And as always, do you have any actionable tips for sales leaders to build out a trend monitoring section in their sales playbook? All right, I'm going to get started as the product manager for the playbook. Your sales team and anybody else that you have out in the field, I want you to think of them as field marketing researchers. They are literally out there interacting with people that you don't have um, usually a strong connection with, especially in marketing um, or in strategy. They're out there on the ground talking to your customers, talking to your prospects. Your customer service team is on the phone with people. If you have a delivery organization, whether they're doing installs or on-site customer service, that's interaction that they're having with your customers. So think about how can we get this information out of the eyeballs and the heads of our people who are out there and make it available to the rest of the team. So building a section in your playbook where you say, you know, collect things that you hear from customers that are surprising or things that you hear that are a trend. Like back when I was saying, if you're hearing from multiple people that they're concerned about our packaging being not very green and you're starting to hear it from lots of different people, hey, let us know. If you're hearing from a bunch of different people, they don't like that our batteries aren't rechargeable and they really want a rechargeable battery. And that wasn't in our product roadmap to happen until you know 2023 or something. Um, we might decide we want to accelerate that. So they should be collecting that kind of information. You could put it in a forum. Absolutely. Like, oh gosh, that would be a really good idea. Absolutely. And then something else that a lot of times your salespeople run into out in the field is competitor information. Um, we had a client, this was so funny, they, um, they sold devices into medical offices. And so they were going on-site in medical offices and it was devices that would sit in waiting rooms. And they actually saw that a competitor had put their marketing information right under the piece of equipment in the waiting room as if it was theirs. <laughs> and so fortunately, that information bubbled up to leadership. So they knew that's the only reason I found out about it. But imagine if the service tech who went out there and saw that hadn't said anything. Wow. Fortunately, it was somebody that had enough of a Wow. of intelligence and mm-hmm. knowledge that leadership would care that they bubble that information up. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> or a spot bonus or something. Oh but you know, salespeople, sometimes you might get a deck from your competitor. You might, um, you might go in to sell to somebody who literally just came out of a meeting with a competitor. Can you get pricing information? Can you get access to stuff? Marketing wants this. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just say on behalf of our marketing <laughs> team that I'm on this podcast with. And sometimes salespeople are the best people out there to get that information. Then, um, you know, again, customer service, your delivery organization. We had one client that actually gave bonuses to the delivery truck, um, the delivery truck drivers. If they would, um, this was a this was a company that was doing. Um, uh, natural gas installations Mm -hmm. and and construction. And so they would give them a bonus if they would identify construction sites that the company hadn't been aware of and pass that over to the sales team. (laughs) So just different ways that you can think of enabling this information. You know, some of this is going to be a little more innovative than others, but it's all about telling people, hey, we value the fact that you're out there and that you have a presence in the market and that we've got, you know, we've got our, our internal team, but then we've got this whole field of people that are out there interacting with customers. We value that. We respect that. Please take that information and get it back to us in a form that it can be actionable. Because if it's just something that gets mentioned to somebody's sales manager in a phone call, 
that's not going to be as valuable as capturing it, like Ariana was saying, in a forum in the playbook, mm -hmm. where then marketing knows we monitor that forum in the playbook mm -hmm. so that we can evaluate what's or anyone said in there. Can see it because, like you said before, your next big idea might come from an intern. You don't know. Definitely. And a lot of times, what happens in that culture of innovation is one person says something and somebody else says, oh, yeah, I, I saw something pretty similar, but there's a little bit of a difference here. And then people can kind of build a complete picture together as opposed to one person thinking, I've got to have all the information. Awesome. Yeah. So I think another, um, I'm very analytical these days, it seems. I'm on this trend. So <laughs> I was going to suggest linking to any type of report in your CRM. Mm -hmm. um, so people can, and it depends what type of CRM you're using, obviously, but so your sales reps can actually see, you know, where leads are coming from, what happened to get them to the close. There's so many softwares that have AI that do this automatically. They'll track your emails and tell you the exact language you use that led to the most closes. Um, for a specific product or service, but I think it's just using your technology and making it easily accessible in your playbook so that people are actually using it. Definitely. Machine learning and processing information. One of the things we're seeing a lot in our clients over the last few years, especially, is they're just getting more and more and more data. And so being able to process it effectively and use it to make decisions um, if you want to adapt to shifting markets and you're behind the scenes in terms of like knowing what information is where and you can't translate it. Uh, Hire data scientists. Yes. Oh my goodness. A few of our clients have entire like business intelligence teams mm -hmm. that are just growing and growing and growing. And it's amazing how much you can learn if you have the capacity, both the systems and the people to process it. Job, actually, I, I was looking into it the other day because I kept seeing articles about what a data scientist is. And um, a friend of mine actually wrote a blog post for us, and she does market research for a big um, media company. And I saw a lot of similarities. It seems like one of those things where, again, it's like the market's adapting, and mm -hmm. these, these are very similar jobs to what has existed in the past, but they just have newer, trendier names. Definitely. <laughs> Data scientist sounds so cool. And, but just crazy tools. Yes. It is just absolutely awesome. amazing the different kinds of business intelligence tools that are out there. And it is going to be really important as a business leader, as a manager, to figure out, first of all, you don't want to buy something that's too big and complicated for your team to use, but you also don't want to think, I can run my business with just Excel. <laughs> There's a healthy balance in between <laughs> the two and thinking about what information, if we had it, could we use to make decisions that would really help us take a next step forward as a business and then figure out, can we get that information? Because you can probably get it. It's amazing what kind of information like, you can have access to. Think about all the data hacks that go on pretty much every single day. I think a bunch of like bots probably have all of my passwords at this point and probably my social security number. I just assume everything of mine right. is just public everywhere. But think about it, like, there's no real value in it unless they figure out like the way to morph it into something else. And that's yeah. where, that's what, that's where all the money is these days, yeah. is turning data into actual stories and digestible information. Well, if there's any college students listening to uh, this <laughs> podcast right now, you should probably major in data science. Yep. So there's Definitely. a tip. Um, and I also wanted to add the problem opportunity matrix and inputting sales success stories into the playbook is probably a good idea too if you want to kind of keep track of um, what problems you can solve and so forth. 
Definitely. Um, and I would recommend just in the context of all of this that we've been talking about, you know, adapting to change. We wrote a few eBooks last year mm -hmm. about change. Um, one about just how to view change as an opportunity. And another one is around change management. And it is really important as a leader, especially that you think about how are you positioning this change and communicating change to your team? There are some people who are really comfortable with change and they like it. They find it exciting. Um, and there are some people who do not. And those are the people that might quit um, and that might uh, just not, not want to stick around or, or would just get really uncertain and kind of uh, huddle up and, and not be as productive and effective as they could be. So something else to think about putting in your playbook um, and you know communicating is just resources to help people understand change. Um, understand what's happening next, you know, sharing plans. If you're going to be doing something to adapt to the market um, and there are big changes that are happening, to have regular communication and your playbook can be a good good place for that. Of Here's the timeline for this big change that we're having. Maybe we're, we're changing the focus of a department. Maybe we're doing a reorganization. Um, here's what you should expect to affect you and your job. And all of that can be communicated in a tool like the playbook so that everybody um, is on the same page and knows what to expect. Because again, one of your key roles as a leader is to provide that, um, that outlook for your team that they know what to expect, at least for the immediate future. Well, thank you both for your insight and tips. And while we could talk about adapting to shifting markets all day, I think it's time to wrap up this episode. You can find the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 167. Tune in next week for Elizabeth's interview with Scott Ingram of the, of the Sales Success Stories podcast. All month, we're writing about adapting to shifting markets on the CFS blog, so be sure to check it out at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. Enjoy the show. Please subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your shows. Rating and reviewing the show helps other people find us, and we really appreciate it. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Elizabeth Frederick, and me, Laura Marchoff. Happy selling!